watched the TV this week about storms? Raise your hand if you did. If you watched the TV about storms. Okay. Most of us saw on the news what was going on. There was this initial storm, that uh, hurricane, that hit Puerto Rico and really wrecked havoc on them. But then it was this one that was headed towards Florida. And they were given warning. It was all the way down there before it got to Cuba. And they were talking about the fact that two and a half million people uh, might be affected by this storm. I think at the end it actually uh, was more than that were affected by that storm that rolled over Florida. My own uh, brother lives down there in a place where it went right over. He hasn't got into his house yet, but he booked it up north to Virginia to get out of the way of that thing. They said that two and a half, now this is the last time I heard, the last time I heard they said two and a half million people had lost their power and they were getting it back up for folks now. But these storm warnings, these tropical storm watches are just something that the people in the south, particularly Florida, North, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, that kind of thing, have to deal with. I've been to Florida several times when out of nowhere we had to pack it up and get out of town because I'm not one of those people that wants to ride out a hurricane. But sometimes you get caught off guard. Um, there's only been in Florida four Category 5 storms. This one that just went through went 155 miles an hour. That's where they cut the speed. If it would have went over that there would now be five Category 5s, but actually Ian turned out to be just a Category 4. And it rolled through there, and you and I have seen the damage. I hope that uh, image is up on your screen, but that is what it looked like as it was rolling off of Cuba and headed up towards Florida's coast. This is what it looked like after it went through. And I know you've seen these photographs, but I'm throwing up, up there this morning just for you to be able to remind yourself of how much damage a storm, even the storms that we know are coming, can do in our lives, can set people out on their own, out of everything they've known their whole life, out of everything they've worked for and had, how it can ruin and wreak devastation upon people who never dreamed that that would happen to them. A few years ago, since I've known you, Janice and I traveled across that bridge and had one of our better vacations. Well, we're not going there any time soon. Why? Because of the storm. Because of this storm that rolled through. Now, I read to you this morning a lot more than I need to. I told you we're just going to focus on the foundation. But I want you to get a feel for what Jesus was trying to do in what he said on the Sermon on the Mount. He was trying to... How many of you believe God has a sense of humor? God has a sense of humor, okay? And God is speaking through Jesus. Jesus is God. And he's wanting his hearer, hearers to understand a little bit of his dry humor in this situation. He's trying to say to them, think about it for a minute, what's going on? Now, I'm going back to something he said that we're not going to focus on, but I want you to think about it. Jesus asked this question. And this is so you can see his humor. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Aren't they both going to fall into a hole? Now, it's kind of humorous if you can stop and be funny about it. We so often want to not put God in the funny position. But he's trying to, to add a little humor to a very serious situation. He's saying two blind men walking down the street are never going to get where they need to get to. They're going to fall in a hole somewhere. 
those listeners were being told through this, you can listen to whoever you want to. There's plenty of teachers out there to listen to, and they will offer you guidance. But if they're blind, leaders of the blind, not only are they going to go in the ditch, you're going to go in with them, and you will end up being destructive in the process. And then Jesus said in the 40th verse, a disciple is not above his teacher. When he's fully trained, he will be like his teacher. Now, you and I read that, and I know how everybody in this room reads that. We read that as Jesus saying to us that if we're a disciple of him, we're going to follow him to where our life is changed so that we look like him. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is still talking about the blind people leading blind people into ditches. And he says, a disciple is not above his teacher. If you want to follow the Pharisees, if you want to be the blind, leading, following the blind, understand this, eventually you will look just like them. You will be a Pharisee just as they are. The day you cross the stage and they hand you your degree, it is going to say on it that you are just like your teacher is. And you've been listening to the Pharisees and you will be a legalistic Pharisee with all the outward virtues of religion, but nothing happening in here. Jesus is saying, be careful who you listen to. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your eye? Why do you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? when you can't see the log that's in your eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. And you read that, and, and you just throw that old King James thinking on it, and you think that, well, that's just something the Bible teaches. That's a saying, it's an expression, whatever you want to call it. Jesus is being a little bit funny here. He's being ridiculous if you'd listen to it. I want you to get this cartoon in your head. There's a man standing here who's got something in his eye. And another guy is trying to help him with a two-by-four sticking out of his eye, and every time he turns to look, he's whacking the other guy in the head. That's what Jesus has given us a picture of. And it's funny what Jesus is saying to us. Last night, that sweet little girl that gave me the kiss said to me, Papa, I want a popsicle. She got two. Um, but while she's sitting there, eating one that she flopped all over me. I looked over at her, and there was a wee little piece of, like, dust hanging off that popsicle. A and I said, Emma, hold still. I want to get that dust. And she pulled it away, and she said, it's dust. <laughs> and I said, well, let Papa get it. She said, no, it's my popsicle. <laughs> you try to help some people, and you can't because what's sticking out of your head? Easton yesterday, and I know you don't want to hear about my kids. I apologize. But I'm going to tell you about my kids. Easton yesterday, he gets, he gets lightsabers, Star Wars. And him and the other child that lives with me 24-7 are having a lightsaber battle. And ultimately, Janice whacked off both his arms. You see, the rules are if you get touched, you can't use that anymore. And if you get this off, you can't use that anymore. And both of Easton's arms were gone, but he still had a lightsaber. He put it right here between his knees and was fighting like this. Think about that thing sticking out of this guy's head. Here, let me get that dust out of your eye. Whack! Let me get that dust out of your eye. Whack! Do you lead clearly, or, or rather, do you see clearly enough 
to truly lead or criticize someone else's speck of dust when you haven't dealt with your own two by four? I've noticed that often what people criticize in others sometimes what's happening in themselves. Sometimes they want to say that that two by four is just a speck of dust when they know good and full well it's a big plank. And Israel, as they were following those Pharisees, they were looking at everybody around them saying, glad I'm not like him. I'm glad I'm not like her. I'm glad I don't do that. And the whole time, Jesus is trying to say to them, you need to look in a mirror sometime if you can get close to it because you have a log jam hanging out of your head the whole time you're pointing your finger at everybody else. We in the church can tend to do that. We can major on minors. We can ignore the significant things in ourselves in order that we can have the small things that we want, the details. The main point of Jesus' gospel is that we be witnesses. It's awful hard to be a witness in this world when we've got something stuck in our own head. But then Jesus goes on and he says, a good tree will not bear bad fruit. A bad tree will not bear good fruit. And you'll be known by the fruit you produce. You see, God wants us to be what he intended for us to be. And that's really what Jesus is trying to say right, right here. He wants us to be the, producing the fruit that he created us, his tree, to be. And more often than not, what we tend to do is to brush up the outside without dealing with the inside. Jesus said this, figs can't be gathered from thorn bushes and grapes won't be picked from a bramble bush. Why did he say that? You ever try to eat grapes where there's a briar hitting you in the mouth? Right now, as I'm speaking to you, I took Bo on a walk this week, a big walk near the woods, and he got a, a briar right here in his hair at his mouth, and he won't let me deal with it. But it also gets in the way of him eating, and this afternoon, after I'm done with this, he and I are going to have a chat about that little briar hanging off of his mouth. There's certain things you can't do if you do them the wrong way. Jesus wants us to hear of a way of life that doesn't necessarily deal with the externals, but rather requires us dealing with the internals. A change so deep in ourselves that we can't do it ourselves. Jesus said, don't go for the alternative. Go for the real deal. Don't buy the generic on this. Get what really is going to work. And finally, church, we'll get to what I told you I was going to talk to you about. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you to do? Everyone who comes and hears me and does what I tell them, I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man that builds a house, who digs deep, lays the foundation on the rock. And when a storm comes and the stream breaks against the house, it doesn't shake. Because it's been well built in the right place. But the one who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them is like a man who builds his house on dirt without a foundation. 
And when the storm comes and the stream rises, it breaks against it, and immediately that house will fall and the ruin of that house will be great. You see, after everything that Jesus said, he's getting down to the final story he wants us to hear. His point is that listening to real wisdom and not putting it into practice is like building a house without a strong foundation. Sooner or later, the floods will come. And then it will become apparent that we didn't do the preparation. We didn't do the hard work of getting ready for the storm that's coming. And church, this message applies to everybody. Whether you live in Florida or not. Because you see, Jesus is not talking about geography. He's talking about our souls. He's talking about our spirits. The Sermon on the Mount. It, it was the best that Jesus had to say. And as he begins, because the Sermon on the Mount's told at the beginning of his ministry, as he begins it, it's the foundational principles that he is giving his believers, his disciples, for what the kingdom of God actually looks like. I'll give you a hint. He was giving them a hint about what we Christians are supposed to look like. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God exists. And he puts his very best illustration right here in this message with a question. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I've told you to do? Why are you disobedient if I am your Lord? In other words, why are you so fast to expect blessing when you offer no obedience? You see, Jesus wants us to hear these words, but more than hearing them, he wants us to live them. He wants us to, to do what he's talking to us about. Two men, they both build houses. They're both building a house very close to each other, but one of them is put together really fast in the wrong location with all the wrong materials. And inevitably, a storm comes along. And when the storm comes, what happens to the house? It drops. He says the ruin of that house was great. The destruction was immediate. Destruction was complete because there was no foundation there to stand on. Many of you, just like me, know what that's like. We know what it's like to live our lives without any foundation. When we know more about football and baseball and sports and politics than we know about Jesus. But this other guy in the story, he heard what Jesus said. And daily, he begins to put them in practice. If I were to ask you today, how much do you believe in Jesus? Because see, I'm not going to ask you, do you believe in Jesus? I've got news for you. Satan believes, the Bible says, and he trembles. So, so I'm going to ask you the question, how much do you believe in Jesus? And I'll tell you how you can gauge that. Okay, Joel, you know, there's, there's not a scale for that. There is not a way that you can ask me that question because everybody's different. We'll give all those excuses. No, I can tell you exactly how you can know how much you believe in Jesus. And it's this simple. Do you do what he says and follow what he teaches? Because if you put his words into practice in your life, you are going to be like this man. 
who built his house on that firm, solid rock foundation. We don't just believe, we do. The issue is this path takes a lot more time, doesn't it? This path takes a lot more time. I posted this week, some of you may have seen it on, I, I know most of you are on Facebook, but I'm going to tell you the story anyhow. I, I left here the other day on Thursday, had had a meeting that some of you were in. I had three appointments scheduled that day, online or in person, and people started canceling and things weren't going well. And when I did get to the meeting that was online, I had a technology issue. It was just one of those days. You ever have one of those days where everything's just frustrating you? I head home and my truck is out of gas. So I pull into Sam Club gas station because it was the cheapest at the time. And I'm filling up, <laughs> I'm filling up the gas tank. And I'm just perturbed. And I'm going over the day, you know, this didn't work right, this didn't work right, this didn't work right. And then I look at that gas pump going ding, 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 ding. And man, it's really not working right. And right there at the back of that truck, this guy steps out from behind the truck, right in front of me, this close. Just standing right here. I've got my head down. And I look up, and it's a friend of mine that I met in 1996. It's a friend that I love. Somebody I haven't seen in a very long time, and he just happened to be up this way. And man, I reached out and hugged him. I went and posted about it because it, it just made my day to see somebody who I've known. And, and now here's why I'm telling this story. Another friend of mine that I have known since first grade, I met her in the first grade. I turned 60 recently. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? This is somebody I've known forever. She read the post and she said to me, she posted online, she said, good friends take a long time to grow. And man, I thought that was pretty wise. Good friends take a long time to grow. To be a disciple of Jesus, to build your house on the rock, it's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. We're not going to say, well, I believe. Now, is there grace? Yes, God gives us grace. But to build that house on the solid rock takes time and effort and strength. And it's not flashy. It's going to be muddy and sweaty and dirty. It's not going to be easy. It can be exhausting. It can be boring. But it takes time to build a strong foundation. Some of you may have noticed some of you came in the front way. We had to dig up a sewer line here. The guy that did it, God is so good to this church. Can I tell you God is so good? I'll just tell you in a nutshell. It was going to cost $8,500 to $10,000. When he gave us the bill, he cut it down to eight. I happen to think that's because I was a Steelers fan, but that's just me. Anyway, he's out there digging, and he gets digging in there with his big backhoe, and we find out that in the hole where he's going down, there's a gas line, a water line, a sewer line, three electrical lines this big, a, uh, what's it called, the, 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 the cables, I forget what they're called, but they're for internet service, and they're all running like this. And the one he needs to get to, the sewer line, is at the bottom. Now, I've got to tell you, the way it's marked out, what they said was there was everything's over here and here's the sewer line. No, it's all on top of the sewer line. 
He's got three or four guys with him, and they get the young guy, and they hand him a shovel. <laughs> and they put him down in the hole, and every time I walked out front, he's down there sweating, and he's digging, and he's dirty, and he's going. But he's fixed. And I said to him, man, you had to dig that hole almost single-handedly. He said to me, that's okay. He said, I'm young and my muscles are pumping. He said, those guys are falling apart. <laughs> that's kind of how disciple making is. It takes time to build that foundation. You see, when the storm came, the storm waters didn't shake the house. When the storm came, nobody knew when it would come. The house didn't move. At the end of the day, the house won the battle, didn't it? Remember those pictures I put up a minute ago of that hurricane down there in Florida? Did you notice that for all the devastation, every whip stick you'll see a house that's standing real good? You have to ask yourself, how'd that happen? Some of the time, it's because the foundation, the build, the way, the time that was sunk into that house was just a little bit different. But I want to say this to you, and this is important. You can listen to, you can listen to the whole message today, but I want you to hear this line. What you and I need to see is not that the storm is what proved the house to be strong. And what do I mean by that? The storm didn't prove that the house was strong because before the storm ever came on the horizon, the house was strong. You with me? It was because of the work that was put in before the storm came along. The storm didn't prove that the house was strong. The house simply revealed itself to be that strong when it came out of the storm okay. It revealed that the person that built it put time into it. They were diligent about it. And that leads me this morning to my big main point. Those who prepare well for the when will win. Get that. Nobody knows when the storm is going to come. And I'm not talking geography today, church. Nobody knows when the storm is going to come. Well, that person must be a terrible person because they're going through that trial. No, let me tell you something. Really, 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 really great Christians get cancer and lose children and have divorces and do all kinds of things that hurt and destroy. And people that have never darkened a church door or heard the name Jesus go through it as well. We don't know. None of us do. Not the guy walking down the street, not you sitting here this morning. No one, the smartest person on earth doesn't know when the storm is going to come. And that means you got to get ready for it. Because you can count on it. It is going to come. If you prepare well, you prevail in a way that reveals what you've done, who you are, the builder you beat, you, you, you've built. And you won't be stronger because of the storm. You'll be stronger because of the way you prepared for the storm. It won't be because of the clothing you put on to masquerade at being ready. But rather, 
it will be that you had a living relationship with the God of the Bible. His name is Jesus Christ. There's one last thing I want to say to you here. In the 48th verse, Jesus says this. This is so important. He is like a man who builds a house, who dug deep. And when the flood arose and the storm came, the stream broke against that house and couldn't shake it. There was something that was said right there that I want you to catch. Jesus didn't say, if the storm came, he was ready. Jesus said, when the storm came, he was ready. Let me tell you something about all of us. You may have been born with a silver spoon in your mouth. I don't know. I have known people in my life that it appeared that way. But I want to guarantee you something. You are one of three people. And it is this. You are either the person that just came through the storm. Or you are the person that is in the middle of a storm right now. Or you are the person that is about to see a storm. But you don't know it yet. Are you with me? The job you lose, the marriage that fails, the lie you've told, the marriage that fails, the sickness that comes, the diagnosis that arrives, whatever it may be, you count it. The storm is either here now, it just passed, or it's right around the corner. And when Jesus asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you to do? He was saying, you're not getting ready for what I'm predicting. Oh, yeah, it looks like it's a little tropical thing down there outside of Cuba right now, but get ready. It's really going to roll across your life. Hearing Jesus but not living Jesus is building a house without a foundation. It's poor preparation at best. And it's a recipe for disaster at worst. I'll tell you how you know if it's you that Jesus is talking about this morning. This may be a little bit pointed, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. If you're the person that says the Bible's too hard to read, you're probably the person that doesn't want to prepare. If you are the person that says, I don't have time to pray or to serve, you are probably the person that is not preparing. If you are the person that is saying, I will not forgive him or her until they ask for it, you are probably the person that is not preparing. I am amazed, I'll stop right here for a minute, I'm amazed at Christians. Christians. People who have been forgiven of everything by the Lord Jesus Christ and yet cannot forgive. You're the person that says, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. You're probably who Jesus is talking about. If you're the person that says, when I get my way, I'll be okay, you're probably who Jesus is talking about. If you're the person that says, the church needs to do what I want or I'm leaving, you are probably who Jesus is talking about. If you're the person that says, the church better do what I want or I'm staying, <laughs> You're probably who Jesus is talking about. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I ask you to do? He was talking to all of us. 
most of us are content to hear what Jesus says, but it all stops right there. But when the storms come, we're unprepared, we're unproven, and we get destroyed. Our life rolls into a mess. We find ourselves in a depressed and lonely position, feeling all alone when the reality is Jesus is there all along, still knocking on the door, saying, yeah, you've gone through the storm without being prepared. But take hold of this raft that I just drew to you, because we can start now. We can start now. I'll close with this. I told you I was going to be short today, and I haven't been. We'll get through communion. I apologize. A guy named Frank Knox was the Secretary of the Navy in 1941. On December 4th, he said this concerning the war. Whatever happens, the United States Navy will not be caught napping. And three days later was Pearl Harbor. And 2,400 Americans were killed, and 1,100 more were wounded because there were no preparations, and the result was tragic. Some of us here today, and I'd perhaps say even most of us, have lived that, not in a war, but in our lives. And what I've been teaching you this morning is hoping that you're grasping what Jesus is trying to say to us, me included, build your house now. You're in the storm, reach for the lifeboat. If you've been through the storm, reach for the ointment that the bomb of Gilead can give. But if you haven't gotten to the storm yet, reach out to him and build. Because he is the only source, the only foundation, which will give you a solid footing when that storm arrives. Amen.